Step right up, it's Nailed, a halo-by-halo halo journey through the music of Nine Inch Nails. I'm Blake. I'm Jessica. And this is it, wrapping up the fragile era. Mm-hmm. We're not going to talk about how long it took. <laughs> We're not going to talk about when it started. Uh-uh. How uh, it started, how it's I going. I can't remember how it got started, <laughs> but I can tell you exactly how it will end. No, that's the next album, not this one. But anyway, who cares about how long it took? This is us finishing it, finally. Mm-hmm. Just tying up some loose ends. Yeah. Before our nailed bag episode and then a little break. Right. Mm-hmm. Just like Trent, we need a break, okay? <laughs> I mean, what we're doing is just as important. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's podcasting. The most important thing in the world. <laughs> so some things we may have forgotten to talk about. Or just skimmed over and promised to come back to. Yeah, we made a lot of promises uh, <laughs> here and there, and some of those we may have forgotten. And uh, probably still forgetting some. Yeah, that, yeah. Look, I'm human, and my memory sucks. I've already devised a system for better note-taking and recording for the With Teeth era. So I'm pretty proud of myself for that. One thing that I forgot to do, I'm pretty sure, was I was reading these little side profile interviews from a Kerrang! magazine with band members from the Fragile Era. Pretty sure I did Charlie's. Pretty sure I did Jerome's. Yeah, we didn't have time to get to everyone. <laughs> well, today, we'll get to them. And honestly, maybe I've read them already. I, I want people to know that I do... I listen to the episode one time. It's when you finish editing. I listen yeah. to the rough cut, make sure there's nothing weird in there. People bring up stuff I said. I'm not going to remember anything no. that I said on any podcast ever. Do not remember. Don't. Mm-mm. And I don't go back and listen to them because I don't want to hear my voice ever again <laughs> after I listen to one episode. That's good. I have I have no choice but to hear my voice over and over, so I've, I'm just kind of resigned to it. It's fine. I'm immune to it now. Anyway, I don't think we did Robin at all um, or Danny. Well, now, we did... I don't feel too bad. We did a, if you go to the bonus feed, we did a whole Robin episode. And we'll do another one. Too. Yeah. The Fink Files will continue mm-hmm. in the, behind the paywall, just just to let you know. Yeah. We'll pick up where we left off. So I probably should re-listen to that episode so I can remember exactly where I sure. left off. <laughs> we can read that's, as little. That's probably a good uh, practice, a best practice. Yeah. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. We can read as a little profile though. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to start with Danny's. Um, these all came from Kerrang, an issue of Kerrang in 1999. So the question is just, describe Trent Reznor. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to hear I what Danny hate, says. I hate those kind of questions. Like, either describe Too someone up. or describe yourself. And it's like, yeah. humans are complicated, man. I could describe someone else better than I could describe me. For How me, would you I describe did... me? Uh... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't you hate You're my questions? wife. It's too loaded, okay? <laughs> if I could describe someone who's not in the room, I could do a way better job. Someone asked me to describe me, I'd be like, uh... Oscar's asleep right now. How would you describe him? 
uh, he, he only has two modes, uh-huh. sleeping or sleeping being an, angel. an asshat. Yeah. <laughs> right now he's sleeping angel mode. He's curled yeah, up. Yeah, he's not even mewling. Yeah. But right before, well, not right before, but maybe like half an hour before we started recording, he was asshat mode. Did you say asshat? Yeah. Okay. Asshat. I was making sure I Goblin used the right mode. Term. You could call it that. Okay. Yeah. Total goblin mode. Anyway. Danny describes Reznor as really cool, mellow, and calm, mm. not at all like a rock star. When he's working, he's really hard on himself. No way. <laughs> Before, he used to not ever want to work. It was always a pain in the ass. These days, he can just churn it out. I wonder... That doesn't sound right. He used to never... He used to not ever want to work? Maybe. I mean, maybe in the era that Danny was... Uh, getting to know him, he was maybe just in a certain mood and was, we go through phases where we feel like being really productive and banging everything out. And then we go through phases where we're like, fuck all this. Yeah. This morning is a productive phase for me. For you. I'm like, <laughs> let me stay in bed, please. I'm just like, cause like no podcast time. <laughs> Whoopsh. Look. Uh, master and servant place. <laughs> But wow, only wow, the, wow, the wow, slave wow. whip mix that's like 20 minutes long. Treat me like a dog. Mm-hmm. That song, that's how it starts. It's good. It's not the Depeche Mode cast. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, so that's how he describes Reznor. Cool, mellow, and calm. Not at all like a rock star. I like that. That's what you want to hear. Yeah. You don't want to hear rock star behavior. What's the best thing about being in Nin? And Danny said... Trans- chicks, man. Sorry. <laughs> He said chicks, man. How did you know? Uh, Because it's Danny. He did not say that. He's a wild man. (laughs) Trent's vision is a lot more exciting than most of the other stuff out there. Obviously, we're part of something really good, even if it doesn't sell the same as some other heavy metal bands or something. Who cares? (laughs) It's trying on your patience and spirit at times to be involved with someone as talented as Trent because it's hard to bring something to the table that's good enough to be used, but it's a great opportunity. Uh, that's good. I think when he said it doesn't sell the same as other heavy metal bands, what he might be thinking is the way new metal was selling in 1999 mm-hmm. versus the Fragile's performance, mm-hmm. <laughs> which could be a little. I need to check the month on this. I guess, yeah, because this was probably the interview was probably done right before the the European tour would okay. be my guess. So the Fragile had probably been out for yeah, yeah, a little bit long enough to know that it had had a big drop off and. Well, it still eventually yeah. had, you know, did good numbers in in the big in the big picture. I mean, for a double album, yeah. A lot of shitty records were selling more, so it it could be demeaning. Yeah. Okay, so Robin. Mm-hmm. First question: How does it feel to be back in the band? And Robin said, "The first day when we started going back through some of these older songs, Terrible Lie, Wish." We broke quite a sweat and it felt fucking great. Better than any of us felt it would. And then getting to know the material has been inspiring and challenging. So far, so good. Well, the tour hasn't really started yet as far as I know, so we'll see. Yeah, if yeah Robin don't count continues, your chickens, Robin. <laughs> continues thinking it's good. What did you think when you heard The Fragile for the first time? I expected to be floored and I was. Mostly with the hint of optimism in some of the tracks. I feared that Trent was never going to get to that place. So when I heard songs like The Fragile that were a bit more hopeful, it felt really good. And of course, sonically and intelligently, technically and dynamically. <laughs> yeah, this is too much. <laughs> there's nothing like it around. I'd made the decision to come back before I'd heard the record, which is something I did intentionally. I'd been in contact loosely with Danny through the past couple of years, so I knew what stage they were at and that they'd never replaced me. They'd never needed to for a live situation. 
It was a difficult decision to make because I was so wrapped up in what I was doing at the time and proud of the work I'd done. But when it came down to it, I couldn't imagine Nin going out without me or with somebody else. I'm in a good place right now. And then the final question. It's taken you four shows to injure yourself. Okay, so I guess the tour had started. Okay. Oh, what did he do to himself? <laughs> I think he talked about this briefly in um, one of the fragility specials. But he replied, unfortunately, Trent and I were dancing. <laughs> he dipped me and we both fell down. <laughs> what? We're dancing. <laughs> Is that what they call it on stage? <laughs> I got six stitches above my left eye. Usually oh it's bruises and stuff that goes away. It was really quite alarming, only the second song into that set, and I was pretty much maimed for the rest of the show. It was a long hour and a half, but that kind of comes with what we're doing. Anything goes. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you could throw your mic stand that weighs 30 pounds behind you, and it might clock your drummer right in the head and... He'll just keep on drumming like a pro, even though blood is gushing from his head. He was seeming in this tour to pay particular attention to uh, abusing Robin. He missed it, I guess, because yeah. he got to. He probably got to abuse, you know, Danny and Clouser in the studio. So <laughs> psychologically, <laughs> and he wanted to be good to Jerome because Jerome's new. He didn't want to scare him off right yeah. away. So who he, is there? I mean, right, the old pals, old pals, yeah. So. I just wanted to finish that up. I'm sorry I'm that I, I forgore about no, it. No, it's good. I forgot. Another thing I just wanted to briefly talk about, and we're going to talk about this more in the With Teeth era, but um, as we came to find out in the With Teeth era, because Trent became very candid about his addiction issues, he was really struggling throughout this tour with alcoholism and probably other substance abuse. I think cocaine was mm -hmm. the other thing. And it started showing up publicly, especially in a performance in Japan on the first leg of the Fragility Tour. There was a show from January 11th of 2000 where he was very, very, very intoxicated. Blake and I watched a few songs from it. Um, I mean, I'm not going to diagnose him right now, but just based on what you see in the show, he's, you know, he's not normal. <laughs> No. Not in a normal state. Ad-libbing a lot. Forgetting some things. Maybe he's forgetting. Maybe he's doing it on purpose. He's falling off stage. I mean, it looks pretty bumbly. But, I mean, as someone who has been drunk before, and uh, I've never performed publicly, luckily, but I've mm -hmm. bumbled and fumbled and fallen. Yeah. and He does like this. Hard to get back up kind of thing. I don't mean to make fun, but. Does like the sloppiest the frail. I never thought I'd hear the frail so sloppy. Yeah, <laughs> but he still kind of he sticks the landing still. So good for him. It's um, it's pretty depressing to watch. Yeah, we it's not discussed fun. playing a clip of March of the Pigs from that set. Um, no, we actually couldn't finish watching all of it. It's just it's no, it's not fun to watch. It's not fun to watch, and it sucks that it's out there, and it's a pretty shitty recording too. But yeah. I mean, it was 2000. Um, so look it up on your own if that's something if you, your if you're sick, really twisted mind is into. Masochistic and want to do that, then do it. We couldn't finish it. I did ask the intern if um, he'd watched the entire set and if it got any better. And he was like, I watched it and no, it did not. So <laughs> yeah, um, I, I was going to try to watch the entire set, but I just couldn't do it. Uh, didn't have time. And honestly, I didn't want to. Yeah, it's just a, to a hard thing to watch. Mm -hmm. So, And, you know, I've had friends who have struggled with alcoholism and my father – was an alcoholic. It's just not, it's not something that I think nope. should be mocked. It's um, not a fun time. No. And it's not anything that I think 
that they would want to relive. No, <laughs> for sure. What that buried um, probably. And it's probably not great that it's out there, but no. Anyway, so I found those links though from Reddit to these video performances, mm-hmm. and there were some Reddit posters who were talking about the shows in Japan. Uh, where Trent was so drunk, he was making a lot of mistakes in his lyrics, talking to the light operators, et cetera. <laughs> I didn't notice that part. Maybe that was Well, later. we didn't watch it. And he said it was a few shows. Um, and they posted that it was hilarious, unless you think harder about the problem he must have been dealing with then. Yeah, think about yeah. it for more than two seconds. Yeah. <laughs> All um, that funny. Another Reddit user, JNut is here, which is a great name. JNut, shout out. <laughs> Uh, was replying to that and said those were bad. He changed the opening lyrics of No You Don't to Fucking in Your Asshole While Feeling Fucking Shit. Don't know if that's true or not. This person could have made it up, but it's... The way Trent... It sounds like Trent speak to me. (laughs) I can totally see Trent doing that. Even sober, I can see him doing that. (laughs) Maybe not if he's in a surly mood or something. Yeah, he thought it was amusing, but the band didn't react. True professionals. (laughs) And that's true. If you watch that performance, the band is not reacting to him. They are churning through... They're pros. Yeah. And we'll we'll maybe discuss it a little bit more whenever he talks about getting sober, but it's not something I want to really linger upon. While it's important because I think obviously there are themes in With Teeth about addiction mm-hmm. and recovery, I just don't want to linger on it too much. It's a hard thing to talk about. No, I don't want to get super into really personal details. Mm-hmm. I don't. I'll talk I'm... about what he states and yeah, <laughs> uh, and I don't want to speculate either. Yeah. On... I mean, I, I can kind of speculate on things that triggered this bout of drinking and, and use again. And I think strain of touring and I think yeah. the lack of blockbuster sales of this album that had so many expectations behind it, those probably didn't help, yeah. you know, record all the pressure. Hey, exactly. pressure makes people drink. Uh, I would know loneliness, things like that. Um, yep. there are a lot of triggers there, but again, I wasn't there. I have never talked to Trent about it. So, um, That'd be weird if I had. <laughs> I don't think that would. Yeah, I don't think you'd want that to be the first question no. you're asking. <laughs> wow, something I don't really want to revisit. Yeah, uh, and like he he said, he doesn't like to look at and all that could have been the, the concert movie because mm-hmm. uh, he's looking back. He doesn't think he was. Even though those were from the American dates, yeah, I think and, he had kind of dried out a little bit. I think maybe oh. there was some embarrassment over his behavior and. Yeah, that stuff seems worlds better. Yeah. And also there was like the big day out fiasco where I think he and Robin almost started throwing punches. But luckily the fight didn't happen because Dave Grohl and uh, Taylor Hawkins decided to drive into the area they were at. A little golf cart, I think, is the story. And because they were interrupted by, by, by the, the Foo Fighters. By the Foo's Foo being Fighters goofy. like, hey, let's not, let's not do this, brothers. Trent and Robin were going to throw punches at each other? I think Robin was about to... Yeah, I think there was some. Was this okay? Damn. Just a lot of frustration with Fink, I think, because of Trent's erratic behavior caused by things like addiction and his erratic performances, and probably alienating behavior towards his friends. Like, you know how it is. Yeah. I mean, oh, I fucking know that shit, yeah. man. That's sad, though. Yeah. Those two guys were born to work together. It would be super sad to see them yeah. fighting. So, one of our patrons, Alex, brought up Lost Weekend, which. Whenever Alex brought it up, I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? I immediately thought, like, what does John Lennon have to do with Nine Inch Nails? Do you know what Lost Weekend is? I don't think so. If someone says the Lost Weekend in reference to John Lennon, do you know what they're talking about? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. So John Lennon and Yoko Ono did split up for about two years. And during that period, 
John Lennon actually lived with another partner, um, mm-hmm. May Ping, I think. Yes. Okay. So he lived with May Ping and split his time between L.A. and New York. And uh, May was also like his personal, he, he and Yoko's personal assistant mm-hmm. and also like a production coordinator for them. But during this time, he collaborated with other musicians, most notably Harry Nilsson. But he also did a lot, a lot, a lot of partying. Very notorious partying during this era. It was like his rebound era. It was 1973 through 75 ish. It was like almost a two year period there. And looking back on this period of his life later, he called it the Lost Weekend. Mm -hmm. And the weekend that lasted two years. Well, it was in reference to a movie about an alcoholic. Oh. Um, that was made, I think, like in four, in the 40s, like 45. Huh. Uh, and the plot of that movie revolved around a chronic alcoholic who uh, – it just, it just kind of followed him for like a four-day drinking binge, this movie did. That sounds like a laugh a minute. <laughs> exactly. I, I don't think that time period so was a fun. laugh a minute for so Lennon. Fun. So anyway, whenever Alex brought that up, that was my first thought. Was like, I was like, what does this have to <laughs> – I had no idea what last weekend was. Yeah. So I'm I'm dumb American. We, we plead ignorance on this. Sorry. Yeah. Anyway, they asked if we were going to talk about it. And so I was like, okay, sure. Yeah. So I looked into it. And last weekend is like a festival-ish. Yeah, I'm going to say it's a festival in London. And I found like a little article from NME. Um, they said, this 20-band bill was meant to usurp. <laughs> I hate that word. Last year's excellent big day out. Hmm. Uh, but from the moment Nine Inch Nails pulled out, it was doomed to disappoint. Um, mm. So the lineup consisted, Nine Inch Nails were the big headliner, right? Um, a Perfect Circle, who they were on tour with at the time, yep. also playing. I'm looking at the lineup right now. Oh, are you? No, uh, nobody uh, uh, stacks up. No. Rollins Band, Therapy, Machine Head. Um, do you know who they got to replace Nine Inch Nails? Is it this band called Nashville Pussy? No, it's not Nashville Pussy. Um, so A Perfect Circle's not their replacement? No. Well, they were already on the bill. Oh, okay. I'm trying to think as a headliner, you mean? Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the list right now. Rollins Band is not. <laughs> you ever uh, heard of a band called Ash? No. Okay. I see them on the list here. Oh. Who the hell's Ash? So I only know Ash for one song. Um, listeners who maybe are more familiar with them are going to be like, what? They're so great. But I only know Girl from Mars. Listen. Oh. Do you remember the time when you were go from Mars? I don't know if you knew that. Now is this Nine Inch Nails or is this Ash? <laughs> is this Nine Inch Nails we're listening to or is this Ash? I don't know. Now is this chicken that I'm eating? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're just kind of power pop. Sure. Yeah. Maybe they're fine. I know nothing about them. They're not Nine Inch Nails. The different vibe. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to read a little bit of this article from Enemy. It promised to be a legendary weekend for metal, but before the last weekend even properly begins, it appears cursed. Saturday's headliners Nine Inch Nails pulled out at the last moment after drummer Jerome Dillon contracts gastroenteritis. Shit. In diarrhea. a very real sense. <laughs> so fancy terminology for diarrhea. Yeah. We'll talk about that because Jerome has a statement. So the majority of Britain's gothic population turn on their black heels, collect their refunds, and return to darkened rooms around the country. The 9,000-capacity venue looks half empty at any one time, and the band start times are pushed back with ash. And I wrote, ash! Hang on one second. Uh-huh. They were given refunds for festivals back then? I don't know. This I'm could just reading be, this from yeah, an article. This could be creative license with the article. I don't think those poor goths were so lucky knowing how festivals work, but okay. 
Okay. With Ash thrust into the headline spot. Ash, meanwhile, indulge in all their metal fantasies in a heroic attempt to fit in, in spite of being greeted by a volley of bottles from an evidently tired and emotional crowd. Oh, no. Now looking increasingly Spartan. A raucous blaze of guitars, they barely stop for breath, living out their dreams of being Nirvana, the Stooges, and the Velvet Underground all at once. Wow. And besides the rabid likes of Jesus Says and Kung Fu, there's new tunes like Envy that prove Ash still have a grasp on a tough and energetic brand of pop. Not that this is enough to placate the crowd. 50 minutes later, it's all over, and the lights go up to the pissed-off chant, Nine Inch Nails. Oh. So, I mean, they're not coming on. No, <laughs> you can chant it all you want. Yeah. Metal fans haven't felt this let down since Lars Ulrich admitted to being an Oasis fan. <laughs> <laughs> That's what? worse than the Napster thing, okay? <laughs> so um, the story from the Nine Inch Nails camp is that the show was canceled due to an illness from a band member, right? It was Jerome Dillon, had a case of the stomach flu, and Jerome's statement was to everyone on the board's I'm guessing message boards. For their concern about my illness, I tried to ignore a stomach virus that eventually kicked my ass. Unfortunately, the show in London was canceled, and we all still feel shitty about it, but there was no alternative. My apologies to anyone and everyone who traveled to see the show and or refunded their tickets. Okay, so there were refunds, maybe. Maybe. I don't. Anyway. I don't know. Not important. Yeah, not important. Oh, it might be important to people who paid, but also, festivals back then probably cost 30 bucks. Exactly. Shut up. Come on. (laughs) Uh, now it's like $9 million. Yeah. I exaggerated a little bit, but. Mm, then not that much. Yeah. Uh, people so, taking out loans. Sorry. <laughs> so people who saw Jerome around this time claimed he looked to be in good health. And there were all kinds of rumor mongering, you know, like if he had something that was contagious and other members have been sick, like why, mm. why did they cancel? They're the uh, truthers. <laughs> And then people were wondering why Josh Fries, who was playing with A Perfect Circle at the time, couldn't mm. just take Jerome's place. And we'll come back to that. Trent actually did respond to some of these concerns in an issue of Kerrang! that came out later. And it was called The Lost Weekend. Reznor says, sorry. So I'm going to read this. Nine Inch Nails main man, Trent Reznor. Main man. Main man. He's the main man. The main guy. <laughs> has... Uh, contacted Kerrang to apologize to fans for his band's last-minute withdrawal from the Lost Weekend at London's Docklands Arena on July 1st. He insists that the band will try to play at least one UK show before the end of the year to make up for it. Reznor was responding to readers' letters published last week in Kerrang. He called the Kerrang office on the evening of Friday, July 7th to answer criticisms raised in these letters. I can understand why they feel cheated, says Reznor of the fans' outrage response, and no one feels worse about it than me. We've taken pride in canceling very few shows. Our drummer, Jerome Dillon, couldn't play at the last weekend because he literally had water flowing out of his ass for two solid days. A very, very poetic Reznor way to to put it. Just the embarrassment of having (laughs) someone else describe your ass that way. Come on. uh, I'd be mortified. I would too. I mean, come on. We tried to find a way around it, but it couldn't be done. I feel bad and upset about it. I hate having to do that. I do my best to put on a great show, and I don't want to come across like Axl Rose. And I'm sorry we screwed you over. Um, NIN will try to bring back their fragility show to the UK before the end of the year. When we get back to the US, we may do a string of dates at the Hammerstein Ballroom in New York, and it may be financially feasible to do something like that in the UK. I'd really like people to see this show. I hope all is not lost and we haven't angered many people. I'm the last guy to pull the plug. I'm pushing to do at least one London show to make up for the fuck up. 
He really hates Axl Rose. You know it? He's got people that he likes to return to. He really does. Uh, digging on. Courtney Love, <laughs> Axl Rose. Fred Durst. Uh, Britney Spears. Okay. So here are some of the questions that fans had that Reznor responded to. Didn't the Perfect Circle drummer Josh Freese know the set after touring with NIN for 10 weeks? Why would... They it's could, not his job to know the exactly. set. Yeah. They could even have had the drums on a dat. And no. Reznor replied, it doesn't work that way. The reason is that Jerome plays by a click track. Blake, what's a click track? Can you explain it to people? It's just a mechanized tempo click, literally a click you hear in your ear. You can make it sound like whatever you want. If you want to hear a cowbell, if you want to hear a metronome, it's a metronome that uh-huh. you is put in the drummer's uh, earpiece, headphones, whatever. And they play along to it. So you keep a consistent BPM and all the uh, canned elements um, are synced up. That's how you play along to all these, you know, like synth sequences and mm-hmm. other piped in things. Uh, the, the click track holds it all together. Okay. I'm not saying that Josh couldn't, but I wouldn't want to do it for the first time in front of a crowd of people who came specifically to see us. This may sound elitist, but I'd rather put on the best show we can rather than a half-assed one. I'm sure ultimately the fans would appreciate that, but I'm not on the other side of the coin. As for a dat, believe it or not, we play live. There's <laughs> nothing on tape drum-wise at all. Again, it would be such a compromise of the show, it would feel like cheating. No, it's, I mean, there are things on the tape percussion-wise. I will... <laughs> uh push back on that a little bit as far as live drums yeah there's no replacement for that it would be pretty dinky to have it all on tape yeah you wouldn't get such a powerful sound i'm sure or just the live energy just Mm -hmm. the just knowing that someone is out there doing it each night uh, well i couldn't imagine like a dat replacing like elon you know what i mean like yeah i mean it would sound like elon but it'd be the same every time you wouldn't see him do his cool performance yeah not the same yeah Rumors circulated that Jerome Dillon wasn't ill, but in fact, Reznor had smashed a keyboard into his face during the previous show. What? What the fuck? That's a funny fan response. Reznor said, no, for once, that's not true. Jerome was throwing up and other things. He hadn't slept for a week. There was no physical way he could do it. Jesus. Fair enough, Jerome was ill, but hell, you could have come on stage and apologized. And Reznor said, good point. I had my tail between my legs. If we come back, it will be more than made up for. He could have come on stage at the festival? Yeah. Just come on stage and been like, hey, sorry, we canceled y'all. <laughs> Were they? Yeah. Why would they go just to? I don't did know. They, I don't know if they canceled last. They didn't cancel last second, or did they? I guess it was pretty last minute. Okay. So whenever Reznor was promoting with teeth, he was pretty candid about some incidents that happened. And um, he disclosed he'd been hospitalized for a heroin overdose in London. And I guess that was around the time this concert was supposed to take place. So people have wondered, was Dylan's sickness actually true? Was it a cover-up for Reznor's overdose? What happened here? I'm not going to speculate too much on this. People are going to believe what they want to believe. It would be... By the way, someone would have to pay me a lot of fucking money to cover up and let Reznor say that I had shit flowing out of my ass for a week. To cover him. (laughs) There would be hell to pay. I better get like 100K minimum if someone is describing my sickness as shit flowing out of my ass. I mean, Jerome did get to keep his job Mm -hmm. through 2005, 2006 even maybe. Um, I mean, he he, he was the guy who... I mean, look at the still stuff. He mm-hmm. was Trent's right-hand man. Maybe he kept him real close because he was holding that secret and he 
you know, gave the diarrhea defense. <laughs> it's better and than the, it's the new Twinkie defense is the <laughs> diarrhea defense. I had explosive diarrhea. Yeah. But I don't know. I'm, I'll look more into it when we get to the with teeth era. I don't think we're going to have a definitive answer. You no. can speculate and upon I'm, it. I'm okay if with this that. happened around the same time, then it could be the a cover up for Reznor's. And that is so personal. Yeah. It's beyond yeah. what I really want to become a detective about. I'm not going to yeah. do that. But it is very sad that him and Jerome ended on bad terms. But that was, you know, that was years later. Yeah. So moving on to something even more depressing than drug addiction. Um, I want to talk briefly about Rodney Robertson. And again, we'll probably come back to him more in the With Heath era because that's when Trent opened up and talked about Rodney. Mm -hmm. But, you know, a close fan who reads liner notes might have noticed that in the liner notes to Still, Reznor dedicates the album to Rodney Robertson. Um, the dedication says, this is dedicated to the memory of our friend Rodney Robertson. May you rest in peace. So people might be wondering who is Yeah, I was like, Rodney who the hell's that? Never heard of him. Yeah. So in May 2005, uh, when promoting With Teeth, there was an article in Spin by Mark Spitz um, where he's talking about – Reznor's talking about his addictions and the struggles he had and things that led to sobriety, right, to him becoming sober. And one thing was that a close friend died. And Reznor said his name was Rodney Robertson, and he worked for me at the studio. He was from the New Orleans Projects. I wanted to help him out. This guy had a doomed life. His sister died of AIDS. We'd go for rides where he'd show me a burned out building. That's where I grew up. There used to be a swing set there. One morning, Robertson's mother phoned. Her son hadn't come home. I happened to turn my head and the TV was on and I saw his truck, Reznor said. Someone executed him, shot him in the head in the projects. Damn. I was so fucked up I couldn't go to the funeral. And that seemed to be what it took for me to say, not for me, but for him. There was also an article in NME in spring of 2005 by Ian Winwood. So this article says a couple of days prior to this, and it's referring to Reznor's um, hospitalization in River Oaks. Uh, I think it's a psychiatric hospital. Okay. Um, I think it's a place where he could get the help he needed for his addictions, mm -hmm. right? Reznor's friend had been shot in the face. His name was Rodney Robertson, a product of the housing projects of New Orleans. Robertson worked in Reznor's studio and would look after his house when he was away on tour. The house sitter for the Reznor Mansion. That would be a good gig. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'd throw some killer parties there. You could play on his pianos. Mm. You could hang out, invite cool goth babes over and be like, look at my goth home. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is Trent Reznor's <laughs> home. Yeah. I mean, people would destroy the place and loot it. So I wouldn't. Yeah, I guess. Probably I guess a bad idea. Had to be someone Trent Reznor obviously trusted. Yeah. Right? He would. He had to super trust this guy. He's yeah. him house sit. Yeah. Um, in return, Reznor would bail Robertson out of jail on at least 10 occasions. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. One day his mom called. Hold on. I'm going to say this the British way. One day his mom called mm -hmm. crying, wondering if the singer had mom. seen her son. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you for the, uh, uh, interpretation. I'm sorry. I'm doing a, a, a joke. This is the worst time to do it, but continue. <laughs> As luck wouldn't have it, Reznor turned on the television and saw a shot of Robertson's truck beneath a photo of Robertson's face. He turned up the sound and found that his employee and friend had been murdered. An African-American male in his mid-twenties from the harshest projects in one of America's most dangerous cities. The police just chalked him up as a number. That event just triggered something in me, says Trent Reznor today. I just hoisted up the white flag and said, okay, I can't do this anymore. So I decided to check myself into the psych ward. At this point, there were two ways I could have gone. I could have died or I could have tried to get better. 
There was no question that that was the state I was in and that those were the two choices facing me. Damn. Robertson, by the way, was very young when he died. I found, I could not find a lot of information about him other than these articles. Mm -hmm. He existed in a world pre-social media. You know, there was no yeah. Friendster, no Facebook, no no trails, I mean, like internet trails like that where you could find now. I kind of know. envy him in that way, you know? Yeah. Uh, or just people, people of that era. Uh, he was 26 when he died. I did find this information. There's This is a very grim website called the Murder Index of New Orleans Parish. Yikes. Yeah. Uh, and I found his uh, obituary there. He came from a very large family. He had children, was married. Damn. Yeah. That makes it far sadder. Just to add a little bit of levity, though, the family at the end of the obituary invited the employees who worked with Rodney to the funeral uh, services, to the mm -hmm. memorial services. And they said, also employees of Trent Studio. <laughs> Of Trent Studio. That's just the way he told his family Maybe. where he worked. I work yeah. at Trent Studio. Yeah. I work at Trent Studio, Mom. Um, Asher Cleaners, Live Bay, et cetera. That's, these are places where places, he worked, yeah. I guess. And so that service was held on June 15th, 2001. But yeah, just it's just sad. It's just heartbreaking. Yeah. But yeah, sometimes, unfortunately, there are things like that that happen in your life that are catalysts for change. And they can be horrible things that happen, but yeah, that the, caused the change the, in you to occur, you know? Yeah. A come to Jesus sort of moment. Uh, yeah. And it could have gotten worse. He could have fallen even deeper into his addictions. Even deeper, you say. Mm-hmm. Is that what that song's about? I mean, probably. At least partially. Yeah. So uh, that's Rodney. Yeah. He deserves, he deserves more than just... I wish I could find more information about him, and I tried. No, that that's great. But, I mean, all, all we had was a name for so long. I guess Trent probably didn't want to air all the all the information until he was good and ready. Yeah. And give his family privacy for a while. But it's nice that he got the dedication. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So the only other thing I want to talk about were ticket sales for the Fragile Arena Tour. We talked briefly about how we had always were led to believe that it was completely sold out. Not necessarily the case. Our intern found a really cool site that has all kinds of factoids that you can look up. It's called happinessandheresy.com. Good title. Yeah. And they have a listing of all the shows played during Fragility 2.0. And on this site, you can get all kinds of information. Like if you click on one of the, one of the dates, let's, we'll go with, um, let's go with New Orleans Arena. <laughs> See what, what this shows us. Okay. So according to the site... The arena had an 18,000 um, capacity. Attendance was 8,500. But on the site, you can get set lists. You can get, you know, encores. You can get ticket stub scans. Um, let's see how much this show costs, if this tells me. On this ticket stub, $30.50. Damn it. $30.50. Yep. 50 cents was the fee. Uh, there was a three dollar fee. Oh, well, I imagine people probably directly. complained about the three dollar oh, fee too. I'm sure. I'm sure. I would have. I'll, however, there's a range of prices. I think the most expensive was forty two fifty. According it's to outrageous. This. I know. You can also see live photos from those shows, tour itineraries, other live papers, merchandise that was sold at the show. Like, there's all kinds of stuff that's really cool, including bootleg merchandise that people are posting. Hmm. So, um, anyway, cool website. If you want to get information about Nine Inch Nails tours, things like that. Check it out. Um, Blake can always put the the link in the show notes. 
But yeah, there's just a list of all the dates that were played, and you can look up and see like the capacity of the arena and the attendance if you are needing that information. Kimber so, Arena, Kansas City. Let's check this out. We have evidence that it was not a sold out. See, some of them are incomplete. This one does not yeah. have attendance at all. I mean, it's like the the Dark Ages so long ago, practically. Uh, it's hard to even verify. Yeah. This one just says not sold out, but it has the capacity for the gig. Let's see how much Kemper Arena costs. This probably would have been the show. Had I had a car. In our home state. The ticket stub that was scanned here, $43.55 fee. It's an admission ticket. We had one of the pricier ones. Sunday, May 28th, 2000. Oh, you know what? That's probably my graduation weekend. The only time... The only time <laughs> uh, pointing nine inch nails were here in our town in Springfield. What do you think it cost? This was 1994. 1994 at, at um, Shrine, Shrine Mosque. Mosque. I'm going to say 20 bucks. Tw- yeah, probably. Jesus. 20 Christ. bucks plus like a three or five dollar fee. Because I think when I saw Bush, I might still have that ticket stub somewhere. I saw Bush there and I think it was like 25. It was not. That yeah. seemed like a lot of money to me because right. I was like in eighth grade and didn't have a job, you know. I mean, yeah, and I and when, I had to beg my mom for that. When I first started going to shows, it was only local bands and punk shows and stuff, and mm-hmm. it's like five dollars is like the max you're gonna pay. Anything above that, it's like, man, they're ripping us off. But yeah, it was five bucks for years because I remember going to the Outland in college yeah, to see local right. bands, and it was still five bucks for like three bands. Yep, and it was like that forever. Most shows I've played mm-hmm. in my stupid little bands have been five dollar covers. Yep. I mean, obviously, we're not bringing the production of a Nine Inch Nails to your tent. To uh, your, uh... I did. Okay, sorry. I, I, had, I was not aware. There were three screens behind my drum kit <laughs> at any given time. Maybe this would be a good time to read some mail we got from patron Tim rather than putting it in the nail bag with everything else because it's about his experience. He had an experience going to fragility that was maybe less than stellar. Okay. And I think it kind of speaks to what our topic here. Hang on. Okay, Tim wrote, Fragility was the fourth time I was going to see them live. Damn. And I was beyond excited. Pretty good seats in the 200 section of Madison Square Garden. Even back then, I couldn't score pit seats. In case anyone forgot, they had a new band opening for them called A Perfect Circle. They were fine. (laughs) What I wasn't ready for was half of the GA crowd walking out after the end of the set and not returning. What the fuck? So they were just there for Maynard? I I mean, I'm plenty of a perfect circle diehards even back then when they were new. Um, but you're just going to walk think they out had before nine on? inch nails? Rocking any diaper rocking tool fans out there? Is that what you're saying? God damn. Um, oh, Oscar's awake. He's staring at me. You're walking out before nine inch nails starts? It's like uh, the Bowie thing, right? Half the GA crowd is what Tim said. Okay, I didn't get it. This was way before I looked at set lists. I had no idea what to expect, and although they are always great live, there wasn't much of the fragile on this fragility night. It started with Terrible Lie, which we all love, but this was the third time I've seen them open with it. I thought for sure we were here into the void, we're in this together. Yeah, you'd think so, that's singles. Somewhat damaged and the big come down. Still my favorites to this day, and we got none of it. Yeah, good point. It was also the first time I saw them close with Hurt. And although I appreciate it these days, back then I much preferred it in the middle of the set. Yeah, that was a shift that happened. It was a mid-set thing, and now mm-hmm. it's just like permanent closer. I could see it being good, though, like if you're in the pit or something, you need some some time to cool down, right, chill out. Right, that's the chill out. Mm-hmm. Kind um, of like what they did in Fragility with the, the screens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Of course, there's always more backstory that I don't want to bore you with, but to this day, the Fragility Tour was the most unfulfilling time I have ever seen Nails live, which is really unfortunate since it's probably my favorite album. I will make an argument for hesitation marks when you get to it. Definitely one of my favorite tours. Well, yeah. He ends it with Gotta Run. There's a Honda Civic up the block giving away their compact discs, <laughs> which is a reference. I feel like I, we've read part of that before. Did, I, can't, I think we read it whenever he won the patch, the whole letter. I read it. Okay. Well, we'll read it again. It's a good, it was, it's a good it was letter. Behind, was it behind the paywall or was it? Um, I can't remember because I don't revisit our episodes. So. I'm so oh, We need look. Jack, our uh, official uh, nailed archivist to... Maybe I should put this before I read that. I'm so sorry if I already read this. My memory is bad. I'm old. I'm dumb. But I maybe I read it behind the paywall, and it's good. I just like this letter. A different perspective. Mm-hmm. Well, it is a different perspective because I know an intern saw them on this on the Fragility Tour, too, and said that he his experience was totally different than that. So. Was it more positive? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, well, they were, maybe you could argue they were inconsistent on the fragility, especially between legs. But I, I feel like now they're more in the pocket night to night, more consistently just good. Well, you're more professional, you're older, yeah. you're sober. And you're not, yeah, not fucking around as much mm-hmm. and uh, getting smashed as much. Yeah. So I can see how you could one night have a bad time and a different night have an amazing time. Yeah. So thank you again, Timothy. Let's do a quick break. Okay. And we'll be right back to wrap it up. Just on the topic of Bill Viola's amazing visuals, uh, just because I feel like maybe we didn't give him enough, we didn't say enough about him. Of course, he did the and all that could have been, or rather, the Fragility 2.0 screen visuals. Mm-hmm. Not Rob Sheridan did did some. He did Viola did the majority. We we uh, gave him props on a bonus episode about the art of the fragile with uh, Chris Turner. But I just wanted to say, um, definitely look up Bill's commentary track where he talks over this section of and all that could have been where they play uh, like La Mer, Great Below, and Mark has been made. And it just it's a static shot of the all the screens so you can see him straight on. Mm-hmm. And he talks about his process. We didn't play that or anything, but you should go look that up on YouTube. Also, uh, look up something called Fire Angel by Bill Viola on YouTube, um, which is just really cool uh, visual that's in the same vein as like the Great Below stuff because it's a upside down extreme slow motion film of a person diving into water 
Or is it is it upside down? It's really it's it's disorienting. I can't see because you've got it on your phone over there. <laughs> this person is slowly going up. Mm-hmm. It's hard to tell whether they're underwater <laughs> or that's what's trippy about it and what's cool about it. But it it's not the same, but it's similar to the upside down a woman entering the water mm-hmm. shot from the great below, which I thought was a great visual companion to that. The way she hits the water on the beat. Anyway, check out Bell Viola's stuff. He was good before Nine Inch Nails too, but <laughs> I mean uh, I liked they, his, I liked him before Nine Inch yeah, Nails. No, they they I didn't <laughs> I wouldn't have known he existed if it weren't for them. So. Oh, well, obviously, I was just yeah. doing my pretentious I know, like, I know. Come on. Okay, I, w- I want to read some stuff that a listener sent us. A listener named Kay simply signed their letter, Kay, and said just a few things from the And All That Could Have Been episodes that you may have missed. On both the live CD and DVD, the droney sample from the beginning of Reptile can be heard right after the drums end at the end of March of the Pigs when Trent is singing Pig, 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 etc. Mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to insert that and crank up the volume because okay. I did not know that, but that would be super cool if true. Given how much editing was done, there's no way this wasn't intentional. Okay, yes, I do agree. Um, Rob and Trent were probably having fun in the editing bay. Just like, also, when they gave Charlie Clouser reptile eyes for one frame, that's not an accident. I want answers. And Rob only gave me a joke answer. Um, So, yeah. K goes on, the final few notes of the plucked melody near the end of Leaving Hope resemble a deconstructed, unresolved version of the downward spiral motif. Okay, I'm going to have to examine that more. The still version of The Fragile was played rarely at regular Nin shows on the 2007 European leg before Year Zero was released. This arrangement is much closer to still, unlike the Bridge School performance, except the ending where the full band comes in with harmonies. I've never heard anyone talk about how special it was to hear the song perform like this. And then they gave some links uh, at ninlive.com to uh, Madrid and London shows where that's performed. Check those out. One final thing, I actually have a copy of the bootleg that contains something sweet. This is, uh, we referenced this on a bonus episode about fake leaks, I think. Mm-hmm. Can't find the disc right now. It was a black-backed CD. Mm. I assume like the weird PlayStation 1 discs. Yeah, those and, are cool. I used to have bootlegs that were gold. Like oh, when weird. you flip them over, they were gold instead of silver. And I thought those were so cool. Um, and Kay sent me these. Uh, there's a bootleg called the fragile remixes, Mm -hmm. which has a bunch of weird, it's like fan stuff and a few official ones thrown in. 
Um, and then there's one of the bonus tracks that's not even listed is something sweet. I might play a clip of it. Kind of like the other fake stuff. It's, they try to make it bizarre enough that you can't pinpoint what it is, but you know, it doesn't sound like official mode. But the quality is not terrible, like some of the ones that were just static. Oh, the um, Keith Hillebrandt Fragile Mix uh, is on that that bootleg as well. So it's not all just like fan stuff. There's like at least three different remixes of the day the world went away. <laughs> it's the star fuckers of that one. Something Sweet uses the TDS elongated scream, probably taken from the end of the Quake theme. Is that the same scream? The downward Spiral? And I think so. Quake? I feel like it's been used in multiple things. Yeah, things. I mean, yeah, he just keeps a library of sampled stuff, so <laughs> yeah. might as well. I mean, that's a good scream. The only lyrics are the title half-whispered at about the 2.30 mark. Yeah, I... I listened to that, and it doesn't sound like a Trent Whisper. I, I think I know a Trent Whisper by, by now. Oh, I know a Trent Whisper. Someone's whispering something sweet. My guess is it's an original song by a Nin fan that uses some Nin samples. Although it's doubtful this is Nin, I actually quite like it. It's not too badly produced and feels semi-consistent with the era. It, it's interesting to note uh, these remixes predate multi-tracks and certainly music-separating technology, like the AI that I've used on this podcast. Only partial stems for the big come down existed at the time. The low quality uh, remix the, yeah, contest the, stuff from the website. Yeah. As well as the Starfuckers and Day of the World Went Away ambient loops on the Halo 13 website. Okay, so thanks for all that information, much of which I did not know, and for sending the files along. I really appreciate that. Listener K. Thank you. Okay, so a while ago, um, we ask people on a monthly basis to answer little prompts when we do merch giveaways. And this was a particularly fun one because it, I asked people if, uh, what was the prompt? How did I say it? If, alternate universe yeah. Resner projects. If there is any alternate unit in an alternate universe, if there's any project you wish that Trent had done that he didn't do, what would it be? Is that nice and clear and not fucking confusing? <laughs> People people got it, so I must have done something right because they had good responses. Uh, can I give mine? Yes. I think that Lisa had the same one. Oh. Uh, but it's some kind of work with Depeche Mode, whether it's remixing a track or production work, I think, because he's such a big fan of Depeche Mode's. Yeah, that um, would be great. And we know that Depeche Mode loves remixes, they remixes for like almost every album. It's not too late. They can like they can do something for Memento Mori, you know? Totally. Memento Mori's solid. They just did that Ghost uh, Ghosts again remix album mm -hmm. it was it was no one i had heard of anyway um my one of mine would be brian eno collabing with trent i think you and holly had the same yeah idea on that. at least one at least one uh, listener also said that so also the the merch giveaways are a, a patron perk uh on our patreon check the show notes and this one was donated by a listener right ah uh, yes thanks again aaron the prize was amazing it was a and all that could have been vinyl, bootleg vinyl. Yeah, unofficially, they, yeah, never. Yeah, I believe it was a white. It looked very nice. 
Okay. First from Matt. My submission is a year zero musical. We never got the show, and this way Trent can get a Tony and become the full-fledged EGOT. Bonus points if he EGOTs before Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah. I don't know why this is a competition to me, but there it is. I think that's that's fair. So is Lin's just missing the Oscar, right? He has a Tony. He won an Emmy. I'm kind of shocked he doesn't he won a have Grammy. an Oscar because he's done a bunch of movie yeah, stuff. Yeah, he's done a bunch of Disney <laughs> stuff. He didn't win for Moana? <laughs> uh-uh. Anyway, yeah, now it's Trent versus Lynn. Trent needs a Z-Got, folks. I, I think this is a great idea. Do that musical. You can make a lot of his albums into musicals because they're yeah. so, like, Downward Spiral could be a musical. Following a man on a, a very dark path. <laughs> or as we've talked about, I think, on here before, musical version of any David Fincher stuff, there's his in right there. Like I'm, the social network? or Yeah, I'm sure Trent's going to be asked to come on board if that happened in an insane world where David Fincher did a musical. <laughs> I really want that uh, musical for uh, Mank. Mank, that, mank me. That mank writes, part two. That, what'd you call it? <laughs> mank part two. I don't know. I don't have a name for it. I was just like, uh, just mank me. You know, make me again. Make me make over me and twice. over. Make my day, you know? Mank my, go ahead. Make my, make <laughs> my day. Okay. Oh, do you want to re- read Trent's Slam Bamboozle, which is a really good one? Sure. Okay. Uh, this is from Damage Inc. 2001. Shout out. Uh, <laughs> I have an idea for an alternate universe that might just hit the spot. It starts like this. In 1989, after Trent leaves Slam Bamboo to make Pretty Hate Machine, TVT puts it out and the album becomes a huge commercial failure. So bad that Trent calls up one of the members of Slam Bamboo to politely invite himself back in. So (laughs) basically, it really was an abortion. Can I be back? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Meanwhile, the boss, fuck you, Steve, (laughs) at TVT hears House on Fire on the radio and thinks, aha, I got to sign these guys. Little does he know that Trent is involved in the band. Slam Bamboo gets signed to TVT Records and releases their first ever full-length album in 1991 called The Upward Twist. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You're welcome. Uh, Containing the hit singles Amphibian and Further. Oh, nice. (laughs) Amphibian. There are tensions within TVT and SB to ditch Reznor from the band, but an agreement was made to keep him in due to his beautiful songwriting and multi-instrumentalist talent. Years later, Slam Bamboo becomes the biggest name in the music market and releases albums in the many years after. TVT Records falls apart, but Reznor opens up his own label, Everything Records. This is bizarro world. Both Mansons are in jail and everyone (laughs) lived happily ever after. Oh, and Courtney wrote Starfuckers, Inc. in this universe as well, but got immediately shot down by Carly Simon for not paying royalties. <laughs> I've never done short stories a lot, and this further proves that maybe I shouldn't write a full-length novel. Looking forward to the numerous alternate universes that are conceived. So, uh, actually, I think, you know, this is a good elevator pitch. I mean, maybe... I like it. Maybe, you know, you're not a short story writer or a novelist, but this pitch is great. Some people are just ideas people, but I've never read your longer form, so... Can't judge that. I like how a whole, this is like the Watchmen universe or something. I like how a whole alt universe was fleshed out here. Mm-hmm. Like how Courtney wrote Starfuckers. I wrote, yeah, I wrote back and I said, I especially like Courtney writing Starfuckers. That was a nice touch. Laura, patron Laura writes, Dear Oscar Resner, <laughs> thank you for addressing him properly. Uh-huh. The alternate universe collab I dream of is Nin X The Tea Party circa 1997. Mm-hmm. I was a huge fan of both around the same time in my teens, and they both were a huge influence on my development as a musician. Here's what that collab might have sounded like. 
and I'm going to play this for the first time. This is going to, this is, oh, I haven't heard it yet. Oh, Laura made us a. Yeah. Tem- okay. Temptation is what it's called in parentheses, the perfect drug version. Is Laura shredding on the guitar? What's going on? I don't know enough about Tea Party, so this this could be maybe a Tea Party sample. Why wasn't this on perfect drug versions? says, I wish that in an alternate universe, Trent Reznor did the score for Westworld on HBO. Also, hi, Oscar. Um, Oscar yeah. says hi. He's sleeping, but he mm-hmm. says hi. Yeah, uh, Trent could do that in his sleep. Obviously, that would be good. John says, in an alternate universe, I wish Trent had a project with Stephen Wilson and Tori Amos. The amount of creativity in that room would shatter the known universe. If I'm really stretching, I'd throw David Bowie in the mix. So another... Bowie Supergroup, not unlike Tin Machine. That would be it. I'm not familiar with Steve Wilson, but imagine Trent, Tori, and Bowie in the same place. I'm still holding out hope that in my lifetime, Trent and Steven get together for something. Wilson is a massive fan of Trent and the Fragile. Then John linked to an article, hang on, um, called Why I Heart the Fragile by Nine Inch Nails by Steven Wilson. It's on loudersound.com. Check that out. Thank you, John. Um, Christian? Mm-hmm. Okay. This, this is a good one. Yeah. Uh, Christian wrote, in an alternate universe, a Trent and a Leah, R.I.P., collabo would have been awesome. Call it one in a million miles away. <laughs> so good. Not sure if it was widely known, but she was a big NIN fan. Which we just found out. Yes, they absolutely should have collaborated. I bet he liked her stuff, too. How could he not? How could you not like those Timbaland beats and her beautiful voice? Okay, I really like that. Wish it happened. R.I.P. From Rin. 
Ren writes, I am a huge slobbering fan of Trent's Tetsuo, the Bullet Man track, so my alternate Reznor verse would be anywhere he did the entire feature score for that or another Tsukamoto film or that full music video they wanted back in the 90s. In this universe, the third Tetsuo movie is also way better. <laughs> I, w- I can't, I can't that comment. Could have been. <laughs> I can't comment because I'm a dummy who's never seen those. Sorry, maybe someday. We're too busy watching cool. Duty Bloom docks yeah. and crying. The visuals <laughs> look fucking kick-ass. Yeah. I will say that. Okay. Anyway. Okay, so this one comes from United States Poison. Uh, good name. Yeah, very good name. Uh, they wrote, where he made pig face into a mainstream success, almost to the point of going pop with it. Okay. Now that, that would be interesting. I would love to see that. Wouldn't it be funny if they took all, pig face in the mainstream with like a <laughs> number one radio single? Uh, I would like to see it. Yeah. Okay, I'm opening up Instagram because people also replied via Instagram. Do you want me to just fire them off or? Fire them off. You can do it. Okay, I'm going to rapid fire. Well, not. I'm going to give them respect. <laughs> okay. Buck Dunn Gone said, I wish T-Rez and MJK would finally put out Tapeworm in its complete entirety. Yes, I know about potions. Okay. Th- this is, I think a lot of people had this, um, had this response. Of course, Tapeworm. Should have actually happened rather than falling apart. Yeah. Siggy said, I wish Trent Reznor and Zach De La Roca actually mm. released their album. Yeah, that's Me something too, that Siggy. actually should. I mean, were they done with it? I, I think they got it's pretty just, far. I think it's recorded. I don't know how mixed and got produced shit-canned. it is, but I bet it should have happened somewhere in the Reznor archives. Lost Soul said, Trent and Taylor Swift redoing the happiness and slavery video. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. Uh, I'm not even interesting, gonna. Interesting. Not even gonna think so about. Taylor Swift the I'm one not in the chair? thinking about it. Not thinking about it. Okay. <laughs> or is she the one coming in after? Hmm. Maybe. Maybe she and Trent are controlling the machinery, and maybe. someone. And, and it's still, but we got to have Bob Flanagan. Yeah. Because he's the guy. Yeah. He's the master. Maybe Taylor and Trent just remixed the song together. Maybe it's okay. That that too, but maybe. Um, it's the same as it is now mm-hmm. with Bob and then Trent comes in later, but mm-hmm. we, it then it zooms out after Trent comes in mm-hmm. and we see that Taylor is the mastermind. Ooh, twist. And she's actually running the whole show and just a, a series of men are going in. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? This is a great idea. Uh, Taylor, get with me. We can add some men Taylor, to this if you're listening, I want to be in the chair if it's like a fun doesn't actually kill me. How about it's just like a fun photo op? Yeah, I do. Yeah, for a photo op. Yeah. We I think we've said too much. Okay, sorry. Holly. Okay, this is the one she stole mine. She stole yours. Holly says mine is a N I N Brian Eno. Yeah. Why has this not happened? Like, come on. It's just that is a no brainer. Yes, make it happen. Jody, I wish Trent would make an album with Britney Spears and remix her song Stronger. Mm. Yeah, he should they could make up for the shitty things he said about her long ago. Yeah, he and did I think say some shitty things during that era when everyone was shitting on pop yeah. music, though. So. But as a pop head, yes, I'm all for this. Um, oh, this is a good one that Stacy said. I want a Kate Bush Nin collab. Mm. I mean, two geniuses. That would that'd be nice. Maybe maybe they're both two both two genius. That's why they can't work together. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> You know what I mean? I got you. Two big personalities. Uh, Shannon 
said, I would have loved to see Trent collab with Android Lust. That would have been an amazing industrial album with her beautiful vocals. This is someone I don't know. Hang on, I'm looking at the link. Android Lust, I think, is a uh, an indie artist. But look them up, folks, at Android Lust on Instagram. That's where I am right now. Dylan said, Nin and Limp Biscuit bury the hatchet and go on <laughs> tour together with Trent joining them on stage to sing the Trent Disc Chorus from the critically acclaimed hit Hot Dog. Okay, this is funny because it's like when uh, Manson came on stage to do Starfuckers with uh-huh. him. That would be fucking hysterical if Trent popped out and was like, yeah, let's do this Limp Biscuit track. I wonder if Trent still has a lot of hate or he's just like, oh, God, it was just a very he's probably 99, 2000 thing to shit on, uh, on Limp Biscuit. I think he's chilled out. I don't we, do you think him and Fred talk? <laughs> they're, they're I don't, both just I don't old think dudes they now. run in the same circles at all. But, yeah, I, but mean, maybe. I mean, Fred Durst, Fred Durst is in does Hollywood. make movies he's now. He's in Hollywood and so is Trent. But So what if Reznor did a, a score for uh, that would a be fucking, Fred Durst original? That would be wild. I almost want to see it happen. Viv said Trent and Lana, of course. And if you mm-hmm. know Viv, you know she's going to say that. You know what, Viv? I agree. Rooker agrees. Lana, make this happen. We got to go darker than ultraviolence, Lana. We got to do it. Got to go darker. Mm -hmm. Michael said, Trent plus Gilmore plus Waters, pink nails. (laughs) I thought you were going to say Trent plus Gilmore plus girls. And I was like, (laughs) hell yes. Send Trent Uh, to Stars Hollow, please. (laughs) I want Trent. I want Trent eating with Suki. He'd be like me in Stars Hollow. He'd be like, just stop, stop. I can't take it anymore. Stop talking, stop talking. He'd be like Jess in Stars Hollow. If you've ever watched Gilmore Girls, Jess is the Trent Reznor of Stars Hollow, I think. If we're Jess. gonna Oh, is that the guy not not this Jess, but the guy named Jess? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The Rory boyfriend. She only had like three major boyfriends yeah, throughout. He was totally show. the Trent. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Okay. Ah, <laughs> uh, Katie. Mm-hmm. Katie, fellow Swift Piggy. I wish Taylor Swift and Nen would release a single together. It would be such a banger. Obviously, that would be great. Katie, we know. Obviously, that's the right answer. Um, Ashley, inspired after receiving his CMA for Old Town Road, Trent moves back to rural Pennsylvania and pioneers industrial banjo, the genre we didn't even know we needed. <laughs> yes. I'm into that's it. That's very good. Into it. That's very funny. Please go back to rural Pennsylvania. <laughs> Deverin said just as Corey Taylor wants to happen I want to I want it to happen as well I need a Corey Taylor and Trent Reznor collab mm-hmm. that would be the most bizarre shit ever but I would love it that's the perfect alternate universe for me Interesting. I think a lot of fans would be interested in that Jacob said I long to live in a world where the remix albums were repressed alongside their main album equivalents like uh, definitive editions, mm-hmm. I'm guessing. Alternate universe, Trent does not believe in the word soon. Yeah. He believes in the word now. He, he gives us what we want in the Nin shop. That's good. Rooker, this ought to be snarky. I think Trent Reznar, R-E-Z-N-A-R, <laughs> should do a cover of Steal My Sunshine by the Canadian brother-sister <laughs> duo Lynn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then have Lana Del Rey sing a verse, mm-hmm. but super quietly so you can barely hear, <laughs> kind of like how Taylor Swift's Snow on the Beach was, and then maybe Gordon Lightfoot all could sing R. a R. verse. P. This was written two weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah, Gordon passed. I'm sorry. Yeah. Rooker, but, we need that Lynn. We tried to manifest Lynn whenever we were in Denver. Yeah. Um, didn't happen. I no mean, chance. That was a long shot, but we tried. 
Ryan said, I wish the Year Zero series was actually finished. Yeah. Good point. Doku. Doku Music said, In an alternate universe, it'd be amazing if Trent and Atticus 2 continued to lend production and songwriting talents to the world of hip-hop. The Saul Williams album and the LP feature wasn't enough. We need Trent on the next Run the Jewels record. This is mm. one that I've thought of, too. That Run the Jewels kind of came to mind when I thought about collabs. I like this response. He should totally work with Run the Jewels. Uh, Aaron, who is not in the running because he donated our prize, said, uh, since you brought up Phil Collins, I've been waiting for someone to graciously cover one of the greatest, most underrated songs of the 80s, Take Me Home. So maybe Trent could submit that to some terrible film's soundtrack. (laughs) Yeah, that would fit. Are you familiar with Take Me Home? I know Take Me Home. I know Take Me Home tonight. No, it's not that one. Hang on. I'm going to have to pull it up. Yeah. Okay, I know that synth sequence anywhere. I can... 80s Trent would... This fits right in with 80s New Wave Trent. I mean, this could be on Purest Feeling. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Did you recognize it? Yeah, I did. Okay. Okay, enough of that. <laughs> Blake's more of a Pete Gabe fan, so. I am Gabriel Stan. I'm in the Pete Hive. <laughs> Lisa said, I'm still waiting for, oh yeah, we talked about this, Nine Inch Nails Depeche Mode collab, of course. Come on, Trent and Atticus, they like their songs to be remixed. Hell yeah. He could even produce an album. I mean, why not? The awkward Nine Inch Nails account commented, pointing up and... You did it more than once. There's two. Oh, yeah. I think Instagram was having a, a uh, bad day that day and was double posting stuff. So It's, a, it's an alt chess account. That's not me. I don't know. I think that's Oscar's account. It's not me. Viv added another one that I like on a personal level, so I'm going to read it. I'm just going to add that I love a Billy Trent collab. When I listened to her first album, it gave me Nin vibes. I said, good thing it's random selection or I'd play favorites with this reply. But yeah, uh, not the first person to say... Nails vibes on her, some of her darker tracks from the early stuff. Billie Eilish. Okay, that's all I got. Thank you, everyone. That Thank was you fun. for participating. Sorry it took so long for us to read them. We did the giveaway a while ago, though. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think that's it for the Fragile Era wrap up. Next time on the main feed, we'll have our nailed bag. So you can send us questions. You can send us your own thoughts on the fragile, fragile era, any kind of personal stories, whatever. Just make sure you mark that it's okay for us to read. So that will be our final episode for the fragile era. Our next bonus up, Blake, why don't you tell us what our next bonus up is? Oh, shit. I'm letting you take over that one. I'm not doing it. I guess I'm on the hook for this now. I have to, I mean, I, I do see this as something very fun. Mm-hmm. Come up with an episode based around the Tomb Raider original soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Why Tomb Raider, Blake? Because we haven't talked about the song deep yet. We've talked about the music video, <laughs> we uh-huh. but we really need to break down the song. Mm-hmm. Hang on. I'm sorry. The title of the movie is Lara Croft Tomb Raider. Okay. And that was 2001. Mm-hmm. So we try to go in order. And this is a little bit out of order because we talked about and all that could have been yeah. early 2002. In between there, there was a little movie called Lara Croft colon Tomb Raider <laughs> with... A, I was beyond stoked 
I'll, I'll get into it in the bonus. But yeah. Let's just say Little Blake was beyond stoked for this single to drop. <clears throat> There's a whole story about Napster that I'll get into in the bonus feed. Ooh, okay. Um, and obviously I bought that CD right off the shelf. And now I have the vinyl, which is a prized possession. <laughs> Tomb Raider. I guess if you want to hear where's my head at over and over Where's again. your head at is a banger. Whatever, I don't care. It's good. Anyway. Anyway. We still haven't decided whether I'm going to watch. I haven't watched Tomb Raider since 2001. I've never so seen it, and I don't really maybe care Maybe I to. should make you. You make me watch um, all sorts of Next week is my trash. birthday. Name one bad movie I've made you watch. <laughs> uh, a, a lot, a lot. Whatever. I have great taste. They're all great films. Anyway. Um. Oh, yeah. So next weekend's Jessica's birthday. Wish her a happy birthday, everyone. I'll be old as hell. No. I'm over that hill. I'm running up that hill. I was running up it all my life, and now I'm slowly rolling down. <laughs> Just like the lyrics to Just that like song. Just like the lyrics, say. yeah. But yeah, so, uh, and after Tomb Raider, um, I'm going to get with Katie, and hopefully we'll do a fashion app. It just might be a little bit later than normal. Or maybe we'll combine eras and do the fragile era with, with teeth or something. Yeah. We're trying uh, to wrap up this yeah. stuff before yeah. May is over here, folks. Yeah, so uh, then we're going to take a little break, and during that time, it will give us... Uh, we're prepping the next phase with of Teeth, Nine Inch Nails' career. Also, we'll be doing some of our uh, bonus patron episodes as yep. well. So Patron picks. Mm -hmm. You decided That's what the right. topic would be. Mm -hmm. Yes, so I'll be able to prep for those, and we'll be releasing those, and hopefully we'll be back for With Teeth Era late summer. Uh, not super late, but like I would say... I'm not July. Yeah, no, no, I'm not giving any <laughs> deadlines, but we are taking a slight break. Mm -hmm. If if Trent was allowed a break between the fragile and with teeth, so are we. Um, if you want that Tomb Raider episode uh, and something like 42 other bonus episodes, mm -hmm. they're uh, on the Patreon feed, Patreon.com/slash NailedPod. NailedPod.com has all of our stuff, including merch. Uh, there's going to be some happenings in w regarding merch. So our merch store is there at nailedpod.com and follow us on Instagram uh, and Twitter at nailedpod and we'll give updates on developments in very cool merch things. That's right. And if you have a chance, don't forget to rate it, rate and review us. If you Five stars only, gl <laughs> glowing reviews. Now the reviews we have are amazingly kind and, and awesome. Do ones like that. I want one that talks about how annoying Oscar is. Just no one, kidding. no one thinks he's annoying Just except kidding. me. He's over there sleeping and being a good boy. Today he's him. been amazing. He's tired. Let me tell you something, people. I had a coworker recommend getting a pheromone infuser thing. Oh yeah, maybe that chilled him out. And so I got one, and I, I guess it just releases pheromones that we can't. That does nothing for me or Blake, but apparently makes Oscar chill as hell. Um, and I've I been weirdly horny. Has that? <laughs> no, stop. Shut up. Do you think it did something? That's just listening to all the Depeche Mode. Oh, yeah. Um, no, uh, he, he's he been a lot mellower, though. He yes. still likes to wake me up like at 6 in the morning, but... He still goes off. He still... He doesn't wake me up at 3 in the morning anymore. Mm. It's just 6, so that's good. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, he's chilled out quite a bit. So if you're having a cat issue, I recommend the pheromone. Pheromone release mm -hmm. uh, thingy. Yep. Okay, let's end this because I've got to go pull a Jer... I've got to go pull a Jerome Dillon. Gross. I might cut that. Uh, leave it. Too late. Our sign-off is uh, very appropriate today. 
did that make you feel better? 